It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is episode 13. I'm going to have 14 episodes total in this series called Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America. Uh, I've sort of been anticipating this particular message the entire time, and I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just for the sheer enjoyment of it. Uh, I think a few episodes ago, I was talking about the Christmas truce in 1914. Like if I was teaching a series on World War I, I would be excited to get to the Christmas truce and, and share that story in more detail. And that's sort of the way this is. This is one of the most intriguing things. I've, I actually did a sermon on this a long time ago, uh, and it's, uh, it's always been a fascination point to me. Uh, and it's such a parallel. Everything that we're going through is such a parallel with what we're, we're dealing with you know, from an antebellum period where Abe Lincoln was right before the Civil War to where we are now. And this message is just a delight. It's sort of like sucking on candy for me. And it's called Balancing Over Niagara Falls. And it's going to dig into a character, not in a, a significant way where we actually get to know him very well, but his name is Charles Blondin. And he was performing between 1859 and when Lincoln was becoming president in early the 60s of 18, the 1800s. And so this was a big deal in Lincoln's day. And Lincoln knew all about Charles Blondin, as did everyone else in the country. He was a, he was a superhero, if you will. And so let me go in and just sort of unpack this, because there's, there's a truth that is in it that is so beautiful and powerful that doesn't just affect Lincoln, but affects all of us. So there's Charles Blond, and he's on the screen. Uh, interesting character. I guess he had a different name. He was French, and I think Charles Blondin is his American name. But uh, introducing Charles Blondin, he's the famous tightrope guy. Now, some of you have heard the story uh, of Charles Blondin, uh, and so you'll recognize this as it unfolds. So this is written by Henry Morris. Uh, Charles Blondin was the foremost tightrope walker of his time. He gained worldwide fame in 1859. Okay, now, where are we at? The antebellum period, which is the ante means before, and bellum means like bellicose or battle. So before the battle, before the war, uh, the Civil War in 1861, uh, that's the period we're looking at. This is a big influence point. So this is one of the key elements that is going on. In the previous message, I was talking about this is the era of showman. Everything was bigger than life. And so if it was death-defying, it was highly attractive. If it was odd and unusual, like P.T. Barnum, it was very attractive. And so Charles Blondin is in this time. He gained worldwide fame in 1859 as the first person to cross Niagara Falls. A cable made entirely of hemp, 1,300 feet long and two inches in diameter, was wound around an oak tree on the American side, while the other end was ferried across the Niagara River and secured to a Canadian rock. I don't know if you're feeling very steady in this, but I'm, I'm uncomfortable and we haven't even gotten started. To limit swaying, Blondin had stabilized guy ropes affixed at 20-foot intervals to anchors on both banks except for 50 unreachable feet in the center, which sagged and swayed 
dangerously. I think I was reading somewhere else that it was about 60 feet in the middle that literally uh, dropped, or maybe it even dropped 60 feet. Uh, it was like this huge sagging area in between. So, or except for 50 unreachable feet in the center. So 60, 50 feet, sorry, boy, it's just right there. Uh, tens of thousands of spectators gathered for the spectacle. Gamblers took bets on whether Blondin would fall and die, and vendors hawked everything from lemonade to liquor. Shortly before 5 p.m. on June 30th, 1859, Blondin started his slow walk from the American side. Once past the center section, he broke into a run. <laughs> okay, we're on a, a rope hanging over Niagara Falls, and he is going to break into a run on the rope? After a brief rest, he started back again, but this time toting a box camera on his back. Balancing precariously near the middle, Blondin carefully set up the camera and snapped a picture of the crowd. Then he repacked his burden and continued the rest of the way. The entire round trip took 23 minutes. Once safely back on American soil, Blondin immediately announced a series of encore performances, each more daring than the last. The press ate it up. Over several weeks, Blondin walked backward, blindfolded, backflipped. Okay, now I'm struggling to even uh, digest that one. Backflipped, pushed a wheelbarrow, and even cooked an omelet during one of his many trips across the rope. I guess he set up like his whole little station, turned on like some kind of flame, and cooked an omelet. From what I understand, he dropped it down to a boat that was beneath him, too. I don't know if it's in this little uh, piece, but uh, that's what my understanding was. After he had crossed to the Canadian side, the crowd was horrified as Blondin reappeared on the rope with his manager, Harry Colcord, clinging to his back. A few guy ropes snapped during their transit, but Blondin never wavered and safely made the crossing. It was later reported that Blondin told his manager, Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. So I don't know, for those of you that understand how the Christian life works, that is a very intriguing statement. Now what I understand, and I don't know where I got this from, this could have been Dan McConaughey if I remember correctly, that he has a little backdrop of what, he, what Blondin actually asked the crowd. And it was something like this, do you believe that I can walk across this rope? And of course, you know, like everyone, after what they'd already witnessed, it's like, yes, we believe that you can walk across this rope. And then he asked a follow-up question. Uh, do you believe I could carry a person across this rope? And everyone you know, raised their hands like, yes, after what we've seen you do, uh, we believe you can carry a person across this rope. And then, from what I understand, Blondin asked for a volunteer from the crowd. So you say that you believe I could do it. Who's ready? Who's ready to volunteer their life and put it to the test? And not one person <laughs> raised their hand. I'm not going to be the guinea pig. And yet his manager, Harry Colcord, did. And as a result, that's from what I understand. Now, of course, some of this could be just a legendary story that's built to you know, make sermon illustrations. I don't know, but it's really powerful if it did happen, right? That, that's the reason why Harry Colcord was actually being carried across uh, on his back. So there's Blondin carrying Harry Colcord, a cool picture uh, of it, in 1859. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you stare at that and you just imagine that's Christ pulling off the impossible life 
for us. Because most of us would agree that to walk on that rope and to do what he's doing would fall into many, many people's category of impossible. Okay, Now, obviously, it's possible for Charles Blond, and he did it. But very few people on earth would feel comfortable doing that, nor would be able to pull it off. And yet, Harry Colcord trusts in the ability of Blondin so much that he is willing to stake his life on it and actually allow Blondin to carry him on a journey that Harry Colcord himself could never make. I just described to you the gospel right there. That's how it works. David Reynolds says this, Lincoln found in Blondin a symbol for his centrist position on major issues. Before the Civil War and during it, Lincoln balanced between extremes, between popular sovereignty, that was, in, I think, in the first message that I gave, and the demand for immediate abolition. So you have two different sides to the equation. Let the states pick if they want to be a slave state or a free state. And then you had the opposite extreme, which was get rid of slavery. Right now, we're willing to go to war and kill people to get rid of slavery. And so Lincoln is caught in the middle. He doesn't want to go to war. He wants to do this in the most healthy manner he can to maintain the family, to maintain the union. But he's caught in the middle. He's trying to walk a tightrope. So between, I'll start that one over. Lincoln balanced himself between extremes, between popular sovereignty and the demand for immediate abolition, between southern and northern views, between ungoverned higher laws and what he and other Republicans saw as the anti-slavery higher law within the Constitution. He thought that if he leaned too far in any direction, the nation could fall into anarchy or despotism. So it depends on which side of the rope he may fall. If he leans too far one way, it could be total chaos or it could be total control and dictatorship in this country. But this was meant to be something more, this country. However, it is in a desperate place. And it is right when Lincoln gets the opportunity to start walking that tightrope. In the summer of 1862, fascinating story here, a group of radical anti-slavery Bostonians visited him in the White House and urged him to aim the war more directly toward the abolition of slavery. He greeted the group cordially and listened while its leader read an address that said the government must have a policy on slavery. After the speech, Lincoln sat back and threw a leg over the corner of a table. He thought for a moment, then asked, do you remember that a few years ago, Blondin walked across a tightrope stretched over the falls of Niagara? Suppose, he said, that all the nation's goods and achievements were crammed into a wheelbarrow and the security and safety of everyone, everyone's home depended on Blondin's guiding it successfully over the falls, he continued. As he was carefully feeling his way along and balancing his pole with all his most delicate skill over the thundering cataract, would you have shouted to him, Blondin, step to the right, or Blondin, step to the left? Or would you have stood there speechless and held your breath and prayed to the Almighty to guide and help him safely through the trial? So even Lincoln is using this illustration to tie it with what he's going through. It's like he has the right and the left, and both of them are saying, more to the right or more to the left. And yet, the balance is so important. Blondin himself is the one that must know how to balance this. And that's what he's pleading with the Bostonians. He's with them. He's anti-slavery. However, they don't understand how delicate this is. If he moves too far anti-slavery, he could lose very specific states that are currently in the Union that would actually exit the Union and turn to the South immediately if they heard that. So David Reynolds says this, the Bostonians got the point and left. 
What Lincoln did not tell them was that he had in his drawer a draft of the Emancipation Proclamation. He was moving in that direction. The very thing the Bostonians are saying, however, he needed to make it clear he is not going to be led by the crowd shouting on the banks. He, he's trying to walk something out, just sort of let him walk it. A centrist. So this is what Lincoln is going to call himself. Now, technically, he was a Republican, right? And yet he's going to be a centrist in his views, which means the Republicans are sort of mad at him because they want to press certain things forward, and he isn't. And the Democrats at the time are upset with him because he's not them either. He's a centrist. So what did I say into this? A person without a party. That's sort of what a centrist is. You know, the, the term moderate is one that we use today, which I'm not necessarily a fan of just someone playing the middle. Uh, and so it's like, hey, buddy, take a side. That's what you always want to say. However, what Lincoln is doing is he's trying to maintain a balance in this country. And he recognizes that if he comes in with a strong anti-slavery agenda, he is going to lose this country in a, in a snap of the fingers. And so how can he hear and give the South a very clear understanding that he wants to listen to them and he wants to bring balance to this country? He wants to keep this union together. How can he do that? It's a tough one. There are two kinds of centrists. Those who pick the center because they don't want to fight. Now listen to this option. And those that gravitate to the center in order to fight for what really matters. And we'll call that the center. So I would never have thought of calling myself a centrist, but it's a pretty interesting way of describing what I believe. I have had a lot of tension in my life uh, over the simple fact of what I'm trying to do here at Ellerslie, and that is I want to bring the body of Christ together. So I really relate to a lot of the challenges that Lincoln is dealing with. How do you balance these things? There's some people that say, you need to add more of this to what you do at Ellerslie. And I actually understand exactly what they're saying. And technically, in my own position, I would agree with that. However, there's a lot of people that come to Ellerslie that do not lean that way. So how do I work with the whole and not just with one schism of the church? And so there are those that gravitate to the center in order to fight for what really matters. And I called it the center, capital T, capital C, the center. Who is the center? Who's the center of it all? What is this all about? Look at the Bible and say, what is that about? What is the center of all of that? And I would say very simply, his name is Jesus. What Paul is going to say to the church at Corinth, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's circling the center for all of us. I call it the North Star. You fix your compass to it. It's the center of all. It is Jesus and what Jesus is going to do. That is what matters more than anything else and anything I could say and anything I could do. That's the message I want to hold on to. A Christian centrist, okay? Like I said, this isn't the term I would have typically thought to use, but it's an interesting one. A Christian centrist. This is not about politics. This is about Jesus. So Revelation 5, 6 is going to talk about a centrist. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though he had been slain. Lamb is capitalized. It's not just any lamb. This is a lamb that appears to have been slain. You know who that lamb is. That's speaking of Jesus. So this term, in the midst of the throne, let's look at it. En mesos is what it is in the Greek which translates here uh, as in the midst of, but what it means is in the middle of the middle. 
or in the center of the center. It's the capital T, capital C, the center. This is what it's all about. Who is in the center? Jesus. 24 elders surrounding the living creatures are surrounding who's in the center of the throne. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's read, that, let's read a scripture from Revelation 7, 17 that uses that same concept. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne or in the middle of the middle or in the center of the center will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So there is one who can do it. There is one who can shepherd us across the Niagara Falls. It is an impossible journey. However, if we allow the debates and the separation notions, the, th- the ideas, the ideology that is separating and creating division to work within us as a church, we will fall off this rope. We will not carry out the agenda that God has for us. But he, the one who is in the center of the center, in the middle of the middle, in the midst of the throne, will shepherd us across this. That he can carry us and cause us to triumph in a way that in our own strength we never could. He can do it. Charles Blondin said this, Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I hear this place, until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. What does Jesus say? Apart from me, Colcord, you can do nothing. You actually can't cross this on your own. You need me. You need me to do it for you. Faithful is he who has called us across Niagara Falls, who also will carry us. I know. It says, faithful is he who has called us, who also will do it. But hey, let's the expanded edition right now really helps us understand this. The secret to following Christ. Make him the center of the center. There is one great secret in my life that I could bake down, probably the center of all other secrets I have, sort of the base of all other secrets, because I have a lot of them. I have a lot of great nuggets that I could give you. However, the greatest nugget of all, ironically, sounds way too pat, and that is the secret is Jesus. You build your life around him. You make him the center of the center. There is a center of the center in all of our lives, and for some of us, It's about achievement. It's about popularity. It's about comfort. We have the wrong thing. It's called an idol, and it takes the center of the center. It sits in the midst of the throne of our heart, and it's not supposed to be there, and our life cannot succeed. It cannot pull off the the grand achievement we were called to, to accomplish, and that is to cross the impossible divide, to actually make it to the other side, to show forth the grandeur, the triumph, and the grace of Jesus Christ in and through this life. There's only one way to do that and that's to make him the center of the center. Or for the sake of our message, allow him to carry you. Get on his back and cling. And when he moves to the left, you move to the left. When he moves to the right, you move to the right. When he moves forward, you move with him. You follow the lamb wherever he goes because he's the secret to making it to the other side. How did Harry Colcord make it across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? That guy didn't know anything about walking on tightropes. How did Harry Colcord 
pull that off. Did you know that Harry Colcord, it could be, could be the, in, in history, like I don't know if, if you can look him up on Wikipedia, but could you imagine you could look him up on Wikipedia and could say Harry Colcord crossed Niagara Falls uh, in 1859 uh, on a tightrope. He did. It's true. However, most of us would say, well, there's more to that. Harry Colcord couldn't do that on his own. And you would be right. And that's the secret of Christianity. You see, we are called to actually accomplish something. Perfect righteousness. To show forth the love of Jesus in this world. The joy of Jesus in this world. However, it must be noted that in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. However, there is a secret. How did Harry Colcord make it across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? He knew someone. And that's the same secret for us. Do you know someone? You see, when you know someone, capital S, someone, you can pull it off too. Leadership secrets of Lincoln. Number one, draw, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Number three, never ever send the first draft. Number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. Number six, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. Number seven, slavery is not supposed to be a permanent condition. Number eight, define your hills to die on so you know where not to perish. Number nine, become excellent on the water, not in it. Number 10, wrestle to establish that you are a stayer. Number 11, approach your enemies with a soccer ball instead of a gun. Number 12, don't just talk it out, live it out. And today's, I like this, guys, listen. Walk the tightrope like Harry Colcord. You see, it used to be when I was originally starting this series, it was supposed to be walk the tightrope like Blondin. And yet, it makes more sense to me to actually swap that out and say, walk the tightrope like Harry Colcord. How did he do it? Dependent by faith. That's how he did it. This is the secret of Lincoln. How did he do what he did? He listened to the backwoods preachers. He listened to the truth and he said, I need to make sure that I follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. He needs to walk me through this. There's only one way I can make it through this. I need the Almighty to help me. And so do we. Father, we ask that you would demonstrate your power in our life and that you would show forth your strength in and through us and that in the middle of the middle, in the center of the center of our lives would be found the lamb that was slain who takes away the sin of the world. We would find that the King of kings and the Lord of lords resides there in the middle of the middle in the midst of our throne. Lord, that is the place you deserve and I pray that that is the place you will receive. It's in the great name of Jesus that we pray this, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.